Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Reformation Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas is a modern red-brick building on the northeast side of the city. Its sanctuary, with four rows of pews arranged in a semicircle around the raised altar, is brightly lit by dozens of large rectangular windows. On the morning of May the 31st, 2009, Dr. George Tiller stands in the foyer, acting as an usher and handing out church programs to parishioners as they arrive for the 10 a.m. Sunday service. Dressed in a green suit and sporting a pair of eye-catching handmade cowboy boots, Tiller, like the rest of the congregation, has turned up in his Sunday best. His finery is reflected in the weather. It's a beautiful spring day, and as the last few stragglers filter into the sanctuary, Tiller chats amiably with fellow usher Gary Hopner. The men discuss Tiller's recent holiday to Florida, where he had taken his family to Disney World, then they move on to the more pressing matter of their favorite breakfast spots and which local eatery serves the best pancakes. A few minutes before the clock chimes 10, Hopner dims the sanctuary lights, signaling to the assembled congregation that the service is about to begin. Re-entering the foyer, he returns to George Tiller's side and helps himself to a pastry from the hospitality table as the sound of music began to fill the church. In his peripheral vision, Hopner notices a figure approaching. Turning his head, he sees a tall, bald man, shabbily dressed and carrying a well-thumbed Bible. The man is striding purposefully towards George Tiller. Before either of them have time to react, the stranger raises his hand puts the tip of a gleaming pistol to Dr. Tiller's head and quickly pulls the trigger. There is a loud pop and Tiller crumples to the ground. The stranger turns on his heel, muttering, Lord, forgive me, as he runs out into the mid-morning sun. From What's the Story Sounds, you're listening to Crosshairs. In each episode, you'll be immersed in some of the most significant and shocking assassination attempts and successes in human history. From meticulously planned hits to killings gone wrong and the moments in time which led to murder. So train your ears and listen as we walk you towards the moment where victim and assassin collide. 
Crosshairs, Episode 6, George Tiller, Part 1. George Tiller was born in Wichita in 1941, the largest city in the Midwestern state of Kansas, and the birthplace of popular fast food chains Pizza Hut and White Castle. In 1917, the Cessna Comet, the U.S.'s first mass-produced aeroplane, was manufactured in Wichita, establishing the city as an aviation hub, which soon became known as the air capital of the world. By the time of George's birth, Boeing's Wichita factory was running 24 hours a day, churning out bomber planes at a rate of knots to support the Allies in World War II. George's father, Jack, was a doctor, and as a child, George spent countless afternoons in his office, watching as he tended to his patients, even accompanying him on house calls from time to time. George witnessed the care and professionalism of his father firsthand. He saw the esteem he was held in by his patients and the wider Wichita community. So George decided to follow in his father's footsteps and studied medicine at the University of Kansas. Whilst there, he met and married his wife, Jean. And after completing his training, he undertook a medical internship with the U.S. Navy, serving as a flight surgeon based out of Camp Pendleton in California. Tiller was proud to serve his country, but a career in the armed forces was not his long-term goal. He had designs on settling down and opening a dermatology practice. But those plans were put on hold in the wake of a tragic accident. In August 1970, George's family were on a flight bound for British Columbia when their plane, a small turboprop aircraft, crashed into a hillside in Yellowstone National Park. Everyone on board is killed on impact. That plane contained George's father, mother, sister, and brother-in-law. Jack Tiller, a trained pilot, had been at the controls when the accident occurred. A bereft George is granted a humanitarian discharge from his Navy duty, and he and Jean return to Wichita, taking responsibility for the care of his elderly grandmother, as well as his sister's one-year-old son. After George buries his loved ones, he visits his father's practice, which had been kept running by Jack Tiller's nursing staff since the accident. George walks into a sea of people who, not that long ago, had ruffled his hair and offered him sweets as his father diagnosed their various maladies. Almost two decades later, they were now looking to him for help. George knows these people, he understands how important it is that they are looked after by someone they can trust. It's a responsibility he simply can't leave to anyone else. George intends to stay for a year at most. After that, he'd pack up and make a fresh start in a new state, away from the place which at every turn reminded him of his beloved family. But week by week, and patient by patient, Tillis starts to grow accustomed to his new routine. He's delivering babies, 
treating strokes, managing long-term illnesses like heart disease and diabetes. His patients quickly embrace him, making him feel like a part of their own families. The doctor-patient relationship is one of accelerated trust and intimacy. Antilla soon comes to learn that many women in the Wichita community had approached his father over the years seeking abortions. This was at a time when the procedure was illegal and the punishment for physicians who carried them out, severe. Jack Tiller had initially refused to perform the controversial procedure, but later changed his mind after a patient he turned away died following a botched backstreet abortion. Tiller didn't want the women of his community to be forced to choose between a pregnancy they didn't want and an intervention that could potentially kill them. Word got around, and soon women from all across Wichita and beyond began to come to Jack Tiller's practice for abortions. Now, George Tiller is the doctor in town, and the women who had once relied on his father are now seeking his help. In 1973, the Supreme Court handed down its landmark Roe v. Wade judgment, which legalized abortion in the United States. In its wake, women start to approach George Tiller looking for abortions. Initially, he refuses. He doesn't have the adequate training, he says. But eventually, like his father before him, he agrees. He studies up on the procedure, performing his first few abortions at a nearby hospital. When George is asked about his decision to pivot his focus towards women's health, and abortion in particular, he references conversations he's had with the women his father helped. Women who explain to him the various circumstances under which they'd elected to have a termination. Some told him about risks to their own physical health or the potentially poor quality of life for the baby should it be carried to term. Others brought up instances of assault that had led to conception. Some spoke of the potentially devastating impacts of unplanned pregnancies on their finances and their mental health. The stories Tiller heard form the basis of what he refers to as his position as a woman-educated physician. To his mind, what it boils down to is whether the pregnant woman or her fetus is his patient. Tiller firmly believes it's the former. By 1975, Tiller has renamed his practice Women's Healthcare Services, or WHCS. He performs abortions for $250, 75% less than what similar clinics are charging. He quickly earns a reputation for providing world-class abortion care. He takes his work very seriously and has very high expectations of his staff, or Team Tiller, as they came to be known. He employs mostly women who refer to themselves as the sisterhood. And Tiller himself is something of a character. He wears a full-length mink coat and drives a red Corvette he nicknames Igor. But his growing stature in the medical community and the word of mouth around his clinic soon starts attracting the wrong kind of attention.
In the mid-1970s, nuns start to protest outside of the clinic. There to represent the Catholic Church's strong anti-abortion stance. The decade has marked a surge in the evangelical movement in the US, and the abortion issue is a lightning rod for their grievances with modern American life. The nuns quickly find sympathizers to the cause, so much so that soon, Tiller and his staff are regularly greeted with a barrage of insults from a crowd of angry protesters as they arrive for work. Threatening calls to the clinic then become commonplace. Chants of Tiller, Tiller, the baby killer can often be heard ringing faintly throughout the halls of WHCS. For a man who would go on to become a central figure in the fight for access to safe legal abortions in America, George Tiller is, in many ways, an unlikely candidate for the role. He's a Republican, for one, and has attended church all his life. Unlike many of his fellow Americans, however, he doesn't believe abortions are an inherently political or religious issue, but rather a matter of basic, adequate health care. Unsurprisingly, his controversial work has repercussions on his social life. The church he and his family are members of ask them to leave. Some of the other parishioners don't like their presence, objecting to their supposed lack of morals. Stoically, the Tiller family moves to the Reformation Lutheran Church on the northeast side of town. But the crowds of protesters outside the clinic grows even larger, and Tiller's family and staff are now starting to be harassed in their own homes. Yet despite the mounting hostility he faces on a near-daily basis, Tiller sees no reason to slow down. For one, he is now an abortion expert, a leading figure in the diagnosis of a whole host of pregnancy-related issues, from hydrocephalus to spina bifida. Letters of gratitude pour into the clinic, which the staff use to decorate the walls and remind themselves of the importance of what they're doing. And it's true that by this point, Tiller and his staff have a stellar reputation for first-class abortion care. Like his father before him, George has become an important member of his community. But the weight of responsibility was beginning to take its toll on the young physician. The officer knows the man he's pulled over is over the limit. He can tell by the way he's subtly meandering over the lines on the road. He also knows that the driver is local physician George Tiller. This isn't the first time Tiller has driven under the influence, but it is the last, because it leads the Kansas State Board of Healing Arts to intervene. They instruct George to seek treatment. After all, there's also the growing substance abuse issues to deal with. Given the stressful nature of his job and the added scrutiny brought about by his abortion work, it's perhaps no surprise Tiller feels the need to self-medicate. Though George is adamant that the protests outside his clinic and the daily attacks on his character have nothing to do with his addictions. With a steely resolve and determination, the doctor throws his all into getting clean. And it works. 
In fact, George goes on to serve on the Kansas Medical Society's Impaired Physicians Committee, helping others with similar addiction issues. At this point, Tiller is now one of a select group of physicians offering abortions after the 21st week of pregnancy. The practice is referred to by its opponents as late term, a phrase which George wholeheartedly rejects, believing it to be both medically inaccurate and above all else, a political construct. Every woman who passes through WHCS goes through an extensive interview process with a member of staff to figure out if they truly want to terminate their pregnancy. Sometimes they changed their minds. Tiller sometimes helps these women put their babies up for adoption, ensuring they go to pro-choice families. This might all sound commonplace now, but in Kansas a few decades ago, this approach was absurdly progressive. And Dr. George Tiller is at the heart of it all. The 1980s marks the start of a difficult period for Tiller and other doctors like him. Just hours after his election, President Ronald Reagan announces his intention to make abortion illegal. He later invites leading figures of the anti-abortion movement to the Oval Office to discuss strategy. By the end of the decade, attacks on abortion clinics in the US have increased tenfold with 780 incidents reported between 1981 and 88. Tiller's practice is no exception. And in 1986, a pipe bomb is detonated at the entrance of the clinic, causing over $100,000 worth of damage. Thankfully, Dr. Tiller, his staff, and his patients are unharmed. But the threat, at this point, is undeniable. 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tiller refuses to be cowed. Each and every attempt to beat him into submission only serves to embolden the doctor. He puts up a sign saying, Hell no, we won't go. And begins turning his clinic into something of a personal fortress upgrading it with everything from metal detectors to bulletproof glass. Tiller even replaces his mink coat with a bulletproof vest and invests $100,000 in an armored SUV to travel to and from work. Working for Tiller is an inherently risky proposition, and the doctor makes sure he compensates his staff accordingly with what he refers to as combat pay. Tiller pushes back against his opponents in other ways, through donations to pro-choice political candidates and the formation of a pro-choice political action committee, for starters. But his enemies also grow more strategic in their approach, too. They send women into Tiller's office pretending to be seeking abortions, hoping to trip Tiller and his staff up and expose any bad practice or instance of malfeasance that they can use to shut the clinic down. 
But the physician and the sisterhood are wise to such tactics, and the impostor's efforts are unsuccessful. By the time Reagan leaves the White House, Tiller and his cause have survived over a decade's worth of battles. But the war for the right to choose is still yet to truly begin. In 1986, Randall Terry, an activist and Republican political candidate, starts Operation Rescue. The group is a fundamentalist Christian conservative organization based in North Carolina. They vehemently oppose abortion, Islam, and homosexuality. In 1991, as Dr. Tiller's profile grows, Terry decides that Wichita should be the site of their largest demonstration to date. And on July 15th, the Summer of Mercy begins, as thousands of Operation Rescue devotees descend upon the city to make their voices heard. Tiller and the operators of the city's three other abortion clinics are concerned for their patients' well-being and safety. And after liaising with the authorities, everyone agrees that all abortion practices should be shut for a week, in the hope that the protesters will soon move on. That proves to be wishful thinking. Within days, demonstrations quickly garner nationwide news coverage. Many Americans are sympathetic to their cause. Donations start rolling in, as well as busloads of additional protesters. For six weeks, they blockade Wichita's abortion clinics. They hold sit-ins at the entrances in large numbers. They scream threats and prayers at clinic staff, as well as any patients who cross their path. It's a hotbed of emotion, anger and recrimination, and the pressure cooker is about to boil over. Operation Rescue founder Randall Terry knows he has sympathizers on the police force. Officers happy to turn a blind eye to the increasingly fraught situation. But what he hasn't counted on is the firm hand of Wichita's US District Judge, Patrick Kelly. Judge Kelly is appalled by the protests. He issues an order stating that any demonstrator will face a $25,000 fine for blockading a clinic. That amount would double for the second offense. Randall Terry receives the judge's order. Incensed, he rips it up and throws it on the ground. Consequently, he spends eight days in jail. The anti-abortion brigade was not going down without a fight. Over the summer, Wichita police officers engage in a daily routine of carrying protesters off one by one, sometimes four officers to a person, placing them in school buses and moving vans before transporting them to jail en masse. The mounted division find themselves having to charge at the crowds at the entrances, batons in hand, in order to clear the way for Tiller and his staff to get to work. Over six weeks, an estimated 30,000 people participate in the protests, and that results in more than 2,700 arrests. For Tiller, it's almost two months of perpetual harassment with protesters also lining the road outside his home, both noon and night, hurling insults at not only him, but his wife and children as well. 
The Summer of Mercy culminates in a rally held at Wichita's Cessna Stadium on August 25th. It is attended by over 25,000 devotees to the cause. But as televangelist Reverend Pat Robertson leads a rapturous audience in prayer, a plane flies overhead with a banner that reads, Go home. Wichita is pro-choice. The tensions ripple out from Kansas and foreground the abortion debate in American public life to a degree previously unseen. And whilst the media coverage might have suggested a surge in support for the pro-choice movement, a 1992 Gallup poll shows that one in three Americans believe that an abortion should be legal under any circumstances. Just a decade earlier, only one in five Americans felt this way. In 1992, Bill Clinton, a pro-abortion rights Democrat, wins the US presidential election. Meanwhile, prominent figures in the Republican Party stress the need to advocate on behalf of the unborn. There is no issue in America which was more divisive. For George Tiller, a lifelong Republican, the party's choice to position the abortion issue at the battleground for America's next cultural war is a dispiriting one. He feels like an outsider in a party whose values have shifted far away from those he once embraced. Tiller isn't shy about expressing these feelings. During a protest in which four protesters chain themselves to his clinic's gate, he wrestles a microphone from a TV reporter's hand, turns to the camera and says, this is what the Republican Party is all about now. They've been taken over by religious fanatics who want to deprive citizens of the United States of their religious freedoms. While the anti-abortion movement has been to this point relatively peaceful, the tide is about to dramatically turn. On the 10th of March, 1993, David Gunn, a physician based in Pensacola, Florida, is shot and killed outside his clinic. Michael Griffin, the man who pulls the trigger, is reported to have yelled, don't kill any more babies, before shooting the 47-year-old father of two in the back. Gunn's death is the first documented murder of a doctor where the killer's stated intention was to prevent further abortions. But it won't be the last. In August 1993, a woman named Shelley Shannon arrives by bus in Oklahoma City. From there, she drives over 150 miles in a rental car to Wichita. Early on the morning of August 19th, a Friday, Shannon drives to Dr. Tiller's clinic. She enters WHCS and tells the receptionist that she's there for a consultation with Tiller. She does a quick lap of the building but can't find the man she's looking for. Frustrated, she leaves and joins the throng of protesters making their usual demonstration at the clinic gates. Then she waits. At 7 p.m., her patience is rewarded when Dr. Teller leaves the clinic and gets into his car to head home. Shannon makes a beeline for his vehicle, a 1989 Chevy Suburban. Tiller, having had more than his fair share of interactions with oversellers protesters at this point and anticipating a conflict, flips his middle finger at her. In response, Shannon opens her handbag, produces a 32 caliber handgun, and fires six quick shots in his direction. 
Join us next time on Crosshairs as we conclude the tragic story of George Tiller. Crosshairs is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Jonathan Guy Lewis. Our music is supplied by KPM. Sound design by Tom Bruins. And this episode was written and produced by Jack O'Kennedy. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please give it a rating and review. There's a new episode of Crosshairs every week. And if you can't wait for that, why not check out more What's the Story content? at www.whatsthestorysounds.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.